Johnny D, the Motivational Cowboy, welcome to the Outstanding Life Podcast with my guest today, good friend, and I just told him just a few minutes ago, we've known each other almost 20 years. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together for my good friend, Detroit Red in the house. What's up, Johnny D? So glad to be here. Man, I tell you what, it was so nice. I haven't seen you in a while because we're both been traveling and touring and doing a whole bunch of cool stuff. And uh, I'm so happy that you are a part of my podcast because you have such a great story. Um, let's just reminisce for a second. Um, I met you through my dad. I'll yep. never forget my dad coming home saying, Johnny, I met this amazing man. He's funny. Him and my mom were at a comedy show, and back then it was at the Holiday Inn or the Radisson or right there. Off a actually. The Ramada, I think. Well, no, no. They moved to the Ramada, but okay. actually it started at OT's Sports Bar in Taylor. Really? Yes. Okay. And it was your brother. Okay. My who, brother Mike. Yeah. I met him first, and okay. then that's when I found out I had a, a father out here. <laughs> Named Black Mike that I knew nothing about. And he said, hey, you're mine, boy. And that's how it started from there. You know what? Now, now that you said that, because not too many people know my dad's nickname, Black yes, Mike. Yes. And by looking at you, Red, my dad was actually darker than you. Yeah, he, he tanned a lot more. <laughs> he tanned a lot more. So, man, you've been doing this for how long? You've been a stand-up comic for how long? Uh, actually, it'll be 20 years in October of this year. Wow, man. I so I met you a few years uh, after you got started yeah, then. Probably, uh, I would probably say my third year in. And that was... Uh, because I was running around with my protege, who you know is still another good buddy, yeah. Ruben Ruben. Oh, Ruben Ruben, he's funny. Yeah, he's like my big brother in comedy. And back then, we had just got together, and he would take me and put me on all the shows and stuff. Yeah. And I was kind of like his opener, and I would host. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a long time. Okay, so let's go back to you growing up. Because... Like, you don't just wake up, like for me personally, you don't just wake up one day and all of a sudden you say, oh, wow, I'm going to be a motivational speaker when I grow up. <laughs> I didn't even know what a motivational speaker was until I was 25. You know what I mean? Right. Did you always know that you wanted to be a stand-up comic? No. <laughs> I, I had... So how did somebody just one day decide that they want to do this? Like, how did it all happen? Um... It actually was a, uh, well, it, in 1998, it's my father and mother both passed, six months apart. My mother passed first in February of that year. And then um, my dad passed in September of that year. So, of course, you know, I was like 24 then, I uh, only kid. Big whirlwind caught me off guard. Right, right. So um, after my dad passed, you know, I'm trying to handle everything, and I kind of became reclusive from everybody. Mm -hmm. I, I pulled myself back. I wasn't bothered dealing with nobody. And a cousin of mine who was a comedy frequenter okay. in Detroit, right? I guess one of my aunties and uncles was like, look, go over there to the house, check on your cousin, get him out the house. Well, you know, we worried about yeah. it. 
And she took me to Coco's House of Comedy. Okay. Which was down in Detroit on Jefferson. And I saw another famous Detroit comedian, Foolish, uh-huh. on stage. And something about him was like, you know what? This guy's funny. <laughs> and and he made me see me doing what he was doing. I always yeah. been a talk crap type of dude. Right, you right, know, right. Talk stuff, be funny. So were you always, were you the class clown growing up? I wasn't per se the class clown. It was a group of us guys. So, so you know, we got. So now you're trying to bring in a couple other people on this and saying that they helped you be the bad guy. They actually did. <laughs> they actually did because my buddies were more outspoken than me. Yeah. And I used to get teased a lot from everybody. So my buddies kind of was like would take up for me. And they taught me how to kind of cap, how to roast, as they say, right, or play right. the dozens. And they developed. They were more outgoing than me. I was more the quiet guy in school. It, but once I got going with them, then you could get the real clown out of me. So let me ask you this then. Just by looking at you, you grew up in Detroit, right? Yes. You went to Detroit schools? Now, how do you just look at somebody and they grow up in Detroit? Well, no, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I'm going somewhere with with with, yes. with, with, with this. And, and, and I'm saying this because you, like... You're a black man, but you are not, like, super, super black. You know what I mean? So I, I'm assuming that either one, your mother or your father, well, I mean, so are you, I, I guess, are you mixed? Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, and it's funny that we, you mentioned that because in the last, so when my, my parents passed, a little history here. Uh-huh. So when my dad passed, I didn't have a lot of relatives on my mother's side. So I really didn't have a lot of interaction with them. But right. when my dad passed, you know, the Harveys, yep. you know, they're, they're close. Everybody came, and I grew up with them a lot, you know, over the summers. So one of my aunties decided that it was time to let me in on the family secret. Okay. That I was adopted. Oh. So I was 24 years old, and I'm dealing with all of this. And, oh, now, Bloom, you're adopted, too. So, so wait a second. I just want to make sure I, I understand this. Your parents died six months apart. Yes. They die, and you find out the family secret that you've been adopted. Yeah, because- And you're 24 years old. Yes. Okay, I just want to make sure that I understand that this, because that was crazy. Secret that they took to their resting place, um, and a relative decided to (laughs) let the cat out of the bag. (laughs) Of course, I'm 24, so- you know, when you're young, you don't really always think logically. You know, anger sometimes creeps in. So I was a little upset that, I, hey, I, I love you, Auntie, but really you just disrespected the memory of my... If they took it with them, they should have went with them. So right. it, it speed forward, probably about 12 years went by. I stopped talking to just about everybody in my family except a couple cousins, the one that got me started in comedy. Right. Um, another one I would keep in touch with here and there. So the family knew I was alive okay, but right. I really was into my own thing. So in the process of all of that, um, I never really cared about biological. Right. Because all I knew was my mother and my father. Yep. And to me... It really didn't matter. I had a complete household, a complete family. I wasn't angry. I'm still not angry or resentful towards my biological parents. Right. So I really never cared. Well, of course, we get married. And, uh, <laughs> of course, your wife will care more about you than you care about you. <laughs> and um, she decided that she wanted to know for me 
you know, hey, you know who your people is. My my family couldn't ask anything because my mother kept it all a big secret. Wow. She knew one of Detroit monarchies, which was Mother Waddles. I don't know if you ever yep, heard of Mother yeah, Waddles. Absolutely. Well, back then in the 70s, Mother Waddles would help uh, young teenage girls with getting their kids adopted kind of under the radar without going through the court systems and all that. Okay. So my mother had everything really, like, done up. I yeah. was her kid. I had a birthday, all this. So yeah. Um, time went on, and my wife was like, well, you know, I want to find out. So she did uh, Ancestry.com for me right. probably about four years ago. Okay. And it came back that I was mixed. And the wow. Ancestry.com, it, it breaks it down to... <laughs> Uh, where this come from, where that come from, how your origins are. Yeah. So come to find out I'm 52% Caucasian and 47% black and 1% Asian. Holy cow. And I'm still trying to find my Asian cousins right now. <laughs> I, I swear. <laughs> this is crazy. So, I mean, it, it, it's funny. As a host or as an MC, you can ask one question. You never know where that is going to go. Because, Definitely. Right. And this is like, I ne- I mean, after 20 years of knowing you, I didn't know any of that. That's crazy. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I'll be honest. I, I think I'm getting a little bit more in my older years comfortable with yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. For a minute, I probably think I was more in denial of, hey, I don't really care about it. But now, right. I actually have met a couple cousins have developed from this. Awesome. Biological. I've met them, and it's pretty cool. So let's go back. To the time that your cousin took you to the comedy show. Yes. And you said, what? Hey, I think I can do this. Did you like just wake up one day and say, you know what? I'm going to give this open mic thing. Or did you even do an open it mic? It was that night. Wait a second. It so was, you, I didn't you, do the open mic that right. night. But we left the club. Okay. Because she picked me up and yeah. taking me back home. And I asked her. I'm like, man, that was, I had so much fun. And. It was a variety of acts that night okay. because the Wednesday night open mic at Coco World is pretty much like a gong show variety type deal. You have, excuse me, musicians, yeah. singers, poets, comics. Okay, gotcha. So I'm like super charged. I had this another thing. I had never been to a live comedy show. Okay, I yeah. was like every other kid. I loved Robert Harris. Eddie Murphy, all them guys, I had seen their tapes. I had seen them on TV. You're making both had, of us sound really old right now because I remember okay. tapes. <laughs> hey, hey, look here. <laughs> I ain't going to throw eight track out there. <laughs> but, you know, I had never been to a live right. performance. Okay. So this was my first live comedy show. I yeah. had been to a concert in the day back, you know, when right. I was a teenager or whatever, but not a comedy show. So when I saw this guy, and he was so funny, and I just recently was able to tell his brother off after 20 years that he wow. was the really motivation for me Get you know, he inspired me. Yeah. But I saw him, and man, I was so geeked when I left the club. So I asked my cousin because she was a regular. Every All the comics knew her. She had been supporting comedy for years. Yeah. She was like, well, you go back the next week and you sign up. I'm like, well, cuz I'm not driving. Can you come? She's like, yeah. Went back the next week and at that time, Bill Clinton had just had his, uh, we'll say, fellatio moment right. in the White House. Yeah. And I didn't know nothing about writing material, nothing. I was just going to ask you, so did you spend six days writing material? Actually, no. <laughs> I knew nothing about. So wait a second. I just want to make sure that I understand this right. So literally, seven days goes by. You show up the same time, same place. Don't know what you're doing. 
I just know I'm going to go up here you're, you're and talk. Go up there and talk and grab the yes. microphone. Yes. Okay, go ahead. I just want to make sure I understand so, this. <laughs> so I, 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 I knew I had it in my head I was going to talk about Bill Clinton. Yeah. Well, now at 24, I'm the guy that's always talking. I'm not the guy in high school no more. Right. I've blossomed to this guy that's always talking stuff about everything. So... I know I'm pretty funny talking to everybody else. So I'm going to yeah. go up here on stage do the same thing. Yeah. So you get seven minutes. I didn't know that okay. either. <laughs> and they blink a light at you to yeah. let you know, hey, wrap, wrap it, it up. up. Yeah. Didn't know that either. <laughs> <laughs> I went up there and did about 10 minutes of Bill Clinton. Who cares? He got fellatio in yeah. the White House over office. They had to play the music. To pull me off, to get me off. And this MC literally had to come up and grab the mic from me. And the crowd was clapping and 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 laughing. And, so you nailed it the first time. And and I went home and I tell you, you know, there's no drug. Yep. Nothing chemically made, organically grown that can compare to the feeling that you get. Amen, brother. From 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 entertaining a room full of strangers, and they love you. In them six yeah. seven minutes, it's like you're instantly friend. You were so talented. And I've yeah. been going ever since. That is so cool, man. Because I I mean you 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 know I mean it's been twenty years since I've been doing the same thing, and it's a, it's just us with a microphone. There is yes. no band. There is no guitar. There is no bass. Ain't it's no a, backup. There ain't. Yeah, exactly. You're either good or you're not good, and 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 that's it. So you went home and you've been doing it ever since. Yeah, actually, at the end of that set. A guy who was a comedian named Tony Dory, he sent me a napkin. When I got to my table, yep. somebody he had somebody give me a napkin. And the napkin said, set up and punch. Set up and punch line. Yep. And I showed it to my cousin. I said, cuz, look at this. Somebody actually sent me a... And I had to go research. So this is when the real part of being a comic came up. What is... <laughs> Set up and punch. Yeah. And that's when I found out you set the story up and yeah. then you deliver the punchline. I do the same thing. And I've been going ever since. <laughs> so let me ask you this. Um, since you became a stand-up comic, what goals have you set for yourself? And and how many of those goals have you achieved already? Well. <laughs> I know it's a good question. It's an open-end question. But think about it. I mean, I literally just put you on the spot, so I'm going to talk for a couple seconds <laughs> just so you can actually think about this. <clears throat> I, um, goal-wise, when I started, when the, all this happened, like, out of nowhere. Yeah. So when I started doing comedy and found that I had some chops to be on stage and people did like what I was, how I was coming... Mm -hmm. I didn't even know you get paid to tell jokes. I was literally doing six nights a week in the club. For free? For the fun of it. For this is what I love to do. So it was your passion at that point. Yeah, and I knew nothing of getting paid. I mean, I knew about Eddie Murphy and all these guys. Yeah, yeah. I, it was never in my mind that, you know, well, this you want to make it to TV. You want to go into acting. I've... I've actually been offered roles acting, and mm -hmm. I've turned them down because I'm just not an actor. It's just yeah. it's not me. So my goals, once I found out I could make a little money, was, one, to be able to sustain a decent living. Yep. Telling jokes. Yeah. Because my true joy is to be one of the greatest stand-ups. Mm -hmm. um, 
that I have not achieved yet, but I'm constantly working on it. Well, you have to. I mean, because yeah. it, it's just something until, you know, we pass. I mean, it's that's just, you know, as well as I do, you're always reaching for that goal because yeah. we always think and we always think that we can do better. We always are, you know, constantly working on new stuff. So, yeah, I don't know if that goal ever, ever is it's achieved. achieved. Right. Yeah. Um, another goal was to meet. Some of the people that I always looked up to. Yeah. So let me, well, then who was, who did you look up to? Oh, I looked at Bernie Mac, Red Fox, which of course oh, we know Red Fox. Yeah. And he was gone. Oh, man. I'm getting goosebumps right now. Red yeah, Fox is just yeah. amazing. I mean, a lot of people what don't a great know story him teller. for his, yeah. yeah, they don't know him for his stand up as much as his sitcoms right. and movies. Yeah. But his, his stand up, he was one of the originals of raunchy comedy. Yeah. People say it's Richard Pryor, but they don't know that. Richard Pryor's guy was Red Fox. Right. And Eddie Murphy, Richard Pryor was Eddie Murphy's yeah, guy that yeah. encouraged him. So uh, Bernie Mac, Robert uh, Harris, I don't know if you're familiar with Bebe Kids. No. Okay, uh, if you ever get a chance, check it out. He was really big in the 90s. Okay. Bebe Kids, We Don't Die, We Multiply. They actually did an entire animated movie. Behind his comedy set. Really? We used to burn his tape out in the gym at school <laughs> listening to him. There you talk go, talking about, about tapes again. There we go. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I know I'm a little older, but I have to. Before all this digital stuff came along, youngsters, we used to have to take a piece of something to put it in something else to put something on our ear to hear it. It was no implants or none of that with all this digital fandugle stuff. You had to buy tapes and have places to store all the tapes, too. It was so funny. I was doing an interview uh, with one of the younger NASCAR drivers, and I was interviewing him and his teammate was a little bit older. And I said to the to the younger kid, I said, do you know what an 8-track is? He had no clue what an 8-track tape was, so he had to grab his smartphone, Google it, and say, what's this big square thing? <laughs> But, but before he did that, he thought it was only a racetrack with eight tracks on it. That's what it, how can we race on this? It only has eight tracks. No, that's that's the original tape. That's right. That's right. Let me let me ask you this. Um, and I don't know if you're allowed to even tell me because I know that there is um, code for you comedians. There's certain things you you just don't tell people. I don't care. Well, let me let me ask, let me ask you this. I've always wondered. How you come up with new material, new stuff to talk about, and new jokes? Well, for me, it's easy. Life. I mean, and I know you, you use the same method, but I've never been one that can embellish a story to make it funny, but I've always been one that can observe a real-life situation and find the humor in it. Yeah. Which I, over my career, I think may have cost me some things, but I don't care. I mean, it's just... It, you are who you are, yeah. that's for sure. Uh, real comedy to me is the best comedy because it's the most relative. Who You know, I, I can relate to somebody going through something that I thought I went through only myself. Mm -hmm. And to find out that somebody else does it is just, it's funny. Yeah. And it helps. So, to me, it's life. Let me ask you this, and and again, I mean, I'm getting kind of sidetracked here because I'm having a good time, and that is, it doesn't matter where I am, on an airplane, traveling, just got done with a gig, it, 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 it doesn't matter. People always ask me, are you always motivated? Are you always this? You know, motivate me. The number one thing they always say is, 
I'm having a bad day. Motivate me. Do you ever get sick and tired with when you tell people you're you're a comedian? They say, "Well, say something funny." That one, and and this is the other one. I got a joke for you. No, 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 no. You do not have a joke for me. You you know a joke. You can tell me a joke, but I'm not going to take your joke and put it on stage. So. And you ain't been saving that joke just to give to me. You've told this joke to everybody that'll listen. So, yeah, that one there is one. I, uh, yeah, I got a joke for you. No. So Now, let's back up to the beginning of, of the show. And you talked about my dad. My dad was always one of those guys to say, hey, I got something funny I, to tell you. Did Black Mike ever tell you, like, and say, Greg, come here, I got, I got something to tell you. The way Black Mike <laughs> did it was he just slid it into the conversation. It was no setup for it. He didn't let you know he had a funny story. He just came with it. And you better not act like you wasn't listening. <laughs> you know, and that is so true because my dad had those eyes, too. Yeah. That would pierce right through you. And it's like you just start listening. Yes. And then you found out later on, you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe that just happened. And then you realize that was a joke. Right, right. <laughs> like the I whole conversation yeah. went by before you realize that he didn't told you three jokes without telling you he telling you three jokes. Let me ask you this: Has it ever happened that somebody actually gave you something funny to talk about and you asked for permission and you used it? Because I mean, you know, we meet so many people, and so there are people that have great stories, and that's why you're yeah. sitting here today on my show is because you have a great story. I can honestly say, and I don't know his name. He's a cabbie. He told me a joke. He's a cabbie, so that means he drives a cab. Yeah, I used to, because I wait (laughs) tables and work in the restaurant part-time in the daytime. So back then, I used to catch a cab Excuse me, to work. And um, he told me this joke that I actually took and reformatted. To kind of make it mine. Yeah, we call yeah. them stock jokes. Yeah, yeah. Um, you probably know I like the way you're thinking. That joke was actually told to me by a cabbie. And I've used it. I use that joke to this day. Really? So, cabbie, I don't know where you at. <laughs> if you're still even driving a cab. But thank you. You are the only person in my career I can say has had a joke for me. So I, I'm going to put you on the spot. I mean, can you tell us the joke? Can you tell us the story? Oh, yeah. Well, it's, 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 Go ahead. My son basically got kicked out of school for being a wiseacre, right? What happened is the teacher came into school in the class one day with a box of items. And she said, I'm going to ask you, give you hints about each item I put behind my back. Oh, this is clean, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's PG-13. It's PG-13. If you're sitting in your corporate environment listening to this, you're safe. I want to keep it where nobody gets written up. So the teacher reached in the box. She grabbed the object. She put it behind her back. She said, it's round, it's red, and you can eat it. Little girl jumped up. It's an apple. Teacher say, no, nah, it's a tomato. But I like the way you're thinking. So she put that item down, and she reached in the box. She grabbed another item. She say, it's flat. It has numbers, and you can use it to add. Little boy jumped up. It's a calculator. Teacher say, no, it's a ruler. But I like the way you're thinking. Here go my son. He say, teach, can I ask the last question? 
She said, sure. She was impressed that he'd taken the initiative to ask his own. Yeah. He, he caught on and he wants to do it. So he reaches in his pocket. He says, it's big, it's round, and it has a head on it. Teacher says, take your manners behind to the office. He say, hold on, teach. Hold on. It ain't nothing but a quarter, but I like the way you're thinking. <laughs> and uh, to this day, I use that joke. You've heard you heard that got, joke. You got 25 cents worth of uh, mileage on that one. Uh, that is well awesome. more. Well more. <laughs> Let me ask you this. If you weren't making a paycheck doing comedy for 20 years now, what would you? What do you think you'd be doing for a living if you were the? Now, now let's go back. I'm not going to put your age out here, but if you go back to you that that 24 year age, okay, 24 year old. What do you think you'd be doing now? Oh man, I, you know, I couldn't even look back now and tell you with the state of mind and 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 the person that I was then, what I could have seen myself doing. I mean it. The world was there. It was a great time. Everybody was able to go make money, work, and you could be pretty much whatever you wanted to. Red, can I ask you something? Sure. You're 24 years old. Mm -hmm. You said life had got the best of you at that point. That I knew of, yes. Do you think that comedy kept you out of trouble? Oh, yeah, definitely. Oh, I can definitely, without a question, listen here. <laughs> It was a point. I'm getting goosebumps. After I mean, my was, wow. parents passed, that you could walk in my home, open up my cabinets where dishes were supposed to be, right? And it was a half gallon of various liquors. It was a 24 hour party. I had no, excuse me, real direction. I was lost. I can honestly say at 24. You know, it's 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 a it's a whirlwind when you're the only kid and both of your parents six months apart. You don't know, you know. And then I had old parents, so they didn't keep me abreast or included into their business. Right. Let me ask you: Was your mom or your dad a comic? Like not 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 even professionally, but was one of them more funny than the other one? My mom, I would say, was a world class. Uh, S uh, I, uh, I can't say what I want to say. <laughs> boo boo talker. <laughs> she uh, was raised in the Black Bottom of Detroit. Yep. Uh, she was the oldest with a younger brother who was always in the stuff. Mm -hmm. She basically was a tough cookie. Yeah. My mother and father were actually recovering alcoholics. Wow, really? They met. Okay. Yeah, they met in uh, recovery in Battle Creek, Michigan. Really? So they met, got married. And and then adopted yeah. you. The story I got, yeah. Wow. Yeah, he was a divorcee. That's three times you already gave me goosebumps, dude. Um, this is great. I'm I, so glad. I mean, I that can't is make amazing. It up. <laughs> no, that's for sure. Um, he um. So had your mom divorced. was a funny one. Yeah, cause my dad was quiet. He was the quiet, scary one. He was. <laughs> you didn't really want him saying nothing, cause normally him saying something was followed with a good strap or. <laughs> Yeah, he was not the one that you really want. He was quiet. My dad was. He could be funny. You're right. When he talked, but for the most part, it was my mom. Let me ask you: Every great athlete has had great coaches throughout their careers. Okay, and I know that we're not athletes per se, but you being a comic, did you have 
idols that motivated you or inspired you and that maybe still do to this day, dead or alive? Yes. Richard Pryor is one of my biggest. Which I know everybody says Richard, but I think my reasons for Richard may be a little different than a lot of other comics. My reason for loving Richard the way I did is because he was straight real with himself. And his comedy was life. It was his life. It I was, remember Richard saying, this is therapy for me. Yeah. He goes, every time I take the stage, this is therapy for me. I'll never forget when I was, and I didn't even realize what I was hearing back when I was a kid listening to right. him. Because my dad loved him. But now I realize what he said. Yeah. And that's kind of like what we do. I mean, I let myself out there on stage. I mean, I'll tell a story and people, though, when I get done, they're like, man, was that, was that story true? I'm like, did you right. see me crying? Yeah, it's true. Yeah. So Richard Pryor, let me ask you this. If you, if you right now, if I had a crystal ball and we just had some fun, just have some fun with me for a second. If you could share the stage tonight with one comic, hmm. one comic, Red, who would that one comic be that you could share 20 minutes on stage with? Wow. You never realized I was this good at uh, this whole interview thing, did you? <laughs> you knew I was a good motivational speaker, yeah, but yeah. you're like, <laughs> yeah, I'm making you think some now. good questions. Yeah. If, if I had one choice, for 20 minutes to share the stage with right now, it'd be Dave Chappelle. Really? Yes. Really? Even though when I started, he was not a forefront. He was funny. He's oh, always been funny. He's always and been I knew funny. of him. You don't just become funny. Right. You just become famous. Pretty much, right. <laughs> you're you're always so, either funny or you're always And like, a lot of people don't know, there's so many funny comics out here that will never be famous. And, you know, they will never be a household name. Yep. But Dave Chappelle, I say now because he has always maintained a clarity with his comedy that excuse me, deals with real life. Politically, family, he touches all areas of life with a realistic, funny outlook. He has that that snappy wit that can cut deep or at the same time can make you feel comforted. Yeah. And I think I could really... His style of comedy, I think, is was fitting. It fits me. I like, you know. Yeah. I think I, I compare. I could jive with him real good. How did you become a good writer? Because you don't just, you're not just a good writer. Because you have to actually perform, and then write, and then I do know this because in my business there are people called ghostwriters, right. and you come up with a great story or a great saying, and then you have people that massage it to make it yours. Right. Do you come up and do you write your own material or do you, because I, I know just like any other business, there are comic writers. Right. And there is, um, I write all my own material. One time in my career, I have paid for material. I never used it. Okay. Um, the material did not, it was good material. Mm hmm. It but just I wasn't didn't you? feel it. Yeah, yeah, I got gotcha. you. It's, it's just like a good song. Yeah, and you know? I can't put me 
into it if I can't feel it. So, yeah, great guy. Uh, what's his name? I can't even think of his name. D. Militant. But that's his stage name. He actually was uh, traveled with Cat Williams and wrote a book about Cat Williams' downfall okay. after the touring and all that with yeah. the, the bipolarness. Um, I just uh, can't think of his real name. But he actually wrote me some material. I paid for it. And it was good material. But in the end, I just, it did not mesh with m my style. Earlier, you talked about you doing it night after night after night after month yes. for free. Yes. And and I've been there too. I mean, I tell people I've I gave almost 40 free presentations until I got paid for my very first right. you know talk. Once you know you're getting paid for it, things change mentally. I don't know about how you were, but for me personally, all of a sudden you're a professional because you're getting paid for it. It's funny because people don't realize when you're not getting paid for it, it's obviously for free. So there is no, hey, we didn't pay for this anyway. So if right. it's not funny, it's not funny. If it is funny, that's a bonus. Right. What were you like that first gig that you got paid? Because I'm asking you this because my very first paid gig, I sat across the street ready to throw up because all of a sudden now I'm a professional. I'm getting <laughs> paid for it. And um, it mentally messed with me. For me, <laughs> and you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, it, for me, I'm gonna be honest. Mike Bonner, <laughs> he another famous Detroit comic, uh, done a lot of things. He um gave me my first paid comedy gig. Period. I was a feature at one mic stand, paid two hundred bucks for four shows. Okay, I may be told ten minutes a, a show worth of jokes. Mm -hmm. That's total of 40 minutes, plus I got to hang out, plus I was kind of like a star. Yeah. It probably messed me up because uh, <laughs> now you, uh, now that's all I can think about. Hey, look here. I need to have that uh, indemnities. I need all my perks. And uh, let's make sure we got only blue M&Ms <laughs> in the bowl. Only blue. Johnny Walker. Not that red stuff. Black. Black. Yeah, but it, 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 I'm going to tell you, it was like, man, it, it was mind-blowing because you're already doing it out of love. Yeah, absolutely. And to see that you could actually pay a bill, you could actually enjoy a night out on what you're doing. Red, I just took you out to my man cave. Okay? Yes. And uh, not the one we're sitting in right now, right, but the no, other the one. The other one, right. <laughs> the above-ground man cave. And I don't know if you noticed, but when we walked into the garage but when you walk out there is a plaque there and that plaque has one dollar from the check that i cashed for 250 dollars okay. for a 20-minute presentation that was my very first presentation and i was like you mean i can get paid for this 250 dollars wow and and, and and we're talking 20 years ago so i was always good at what i did and to, to make a good living but now I, I'm passionate about something and I got paid? Right. Well, all of a sudden, this was great. I'm going to tell you, I'm amazed you got that dollar because I spent every <laughs> single penny of the first pay that I got. You'll see. I know, And I know you saw this one over here uh, when I had over a million listeners on the radio. And my first $10 is 
with the newspaper article. And um, I'll never forget, as a good friend of mine, his father said, I want your very first book. He signed that that $10 okay. bill. And he goes, I want this frame because you are going to be somebody one day, kid. And I'll never forget that. That all being said, let me ask you this. I, I'm, I'm going to totally turn the tables on you just for a second. Everybody, everybody in life has failed at Good. least once. And I'm saying this because the people out there that are following their dreams, and they might be going through this right now, Right. that, hey, you know what? I failed yesterday. I failed last week or I failed last month. I know what it's like to take the stage and not. We call it bombing in comedy. <laughs> okay, okay. Is that what you're trying okay, to yes, get to? Yes, okay, yes I have bombed. <laughs> so, How do I deal with it? A good drink and hey, we on to the next show. That's, <laughs> so, do you remember just you know, and just for the listeners? I mean, because it, you know, it's funny now, but it's right. not funny at the time. I'll never forget that. This one time, I mean, for a week, I was sick to my stomach, going, "Man, am I really going to do this for a living?" Like I had been doing it for years without failing. And then that, that one time it didn't go good at all. At all. Man, I hate asking, but do you, does one stick out more than others? Actually, yes. And this is actually kind of sad. I think this is probably the most worst point of my career. And I, you learn a lesson every time. But first of all, let me say, you're going to be your hardest critic. There'll be times you think you bombed because you didn't hear what you thought you were supposed to hear, and you actually didn't. But then there's times <laughs> you know you bombed because you didn't hear nothing, and the people just stand there and look at you like, really, why did we invite you here? Um, I did a um, NA convention. Okay. And I'm not ashamed to admit, you know, I, I partake on my libations, and I was young in my career. Is it actually kind of funny? I had just think I did your book release, okay, and we had celebrated great book release, yeah. but I didn't quite hit my limit that I should have <laughs> on Jaeger bombers. Yeah, yeah. And I went to the NA event, and I was doing the jokes. Some people was laughing, but a lot of them was looking at me like. Why did we invite him here? And they were very quiet. And I figured out, was told early, later on, it was that because they were all recovering alcoholics, they could tell I was toasted. Yeah. Wow. So I learned that whenever you get uh, anything like an NA convention, church, things like that, you tend not to mess with the spirits until after the show. <laughs> you know, hey, lesson learned. I'm sorry. I was just thinking about this. I'll never forget one time, and and it, and, th and and this is what I love about the podcast is, is we can just be two guys hanging out here and telling great stories. But I'll never forget the time that I was doing a training, and I said, "Excuse me," I you know gave them a a like a you know some little homework thing to do. I I left for twenty minutes, and I was in L.A. Man, so I mean it was beautiful. I was at this beautiful resort. So I'd go to the bathroom, basically, you know. So I leave. I go to the bathroom. I call my daughter. You know, 17 minutes later, I go back in the room. They're just now finishing up. The rest of the afternoon was awesome. And I walked, when I walked back in, I was like, these people got me, man. This is great. 
after it was all over, I let him leave a little bit early because that's what every good trainer does. Right. And uh, before I left, this lady stands up and she goes, excuse me, Mr. Johnny D. I said, yes, ma'am. She goes, can I give you some cr- uh, uh, constructive criticism? And I wanted to say no, but I said, of course. She goes, the next time you go to the bathroom, can you please shut your microphone off? Oh, wow. <laughs> she didn't hurt everything. So I said to her, I said, well, thank God it was number one. Ah. <laughs> so we've all had those embarrassing yes. moments. Let me ask you this. Has there ever, ever been a time in the 20 years of you doing this that you wanted to quit? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um <clears throat> You know, like with anything you do, after you do it for so long, if you don't hit certain plateaus or goals that you set for yourself, you may get to questioning, you know, your path or your route in pursuing your dream. And I've had them just like anybody else had. Um, It's been a couple times, actually. One time is when I first got my son. I had custody of my son for a while. And I didn't just did not see it being possible to be this parent and then pursue this career like this, going on the road, you know, traveling. Fortunately, I had a very supportive wife that helped out with that. Um, I did take a three-year hiatus where I just stopped doing comedy and was managing for IHOP um, for a while, but I wasn't happy. Right. I just couldn't stay away. It was like... This is not what you happy doing. You need to go back to what you were happy doing. Congratulations on your son graduating too. Yeah, thank I know you. that. Yeah, thank that was what, a week or two ago. Yes. That's pretty cool. Yes, I'll be able to borrow money from him in a minute. Let me ask you this. <laughs> Has he saw dad do what he does and does he want to get into comedy as well? No, on the comedy. (laughs) He has physically seen me do my comedy one time, and that was a situation where no babysitter was available, and I had a show, Mm -hmm. and I had to do the show. And my show can get raunchy Mm -hmm. if the atmosphere calls for it. Right, yeah. And um, I think once he saw what Dad does for a living, he decided, I'm going to the Air Force. Oh, so, is that what he's doing? Yeah, he's actually oh, away at awesome. uh, working over summer at Cedar Point. Nice. Staying, staying out there yeah. or whatever. And then in November when he comes back, he's going to go take his other test. Congratulations. And, you got to you know, be so proud. I am very proud. I'm That's very so good. Proud. Especially when he get them 150 work hours at Cedar Point for the free passes. <laughs> go, son. <laughs> and those of you that don't know, that is one of the biggest Amusement parks in the country. Yeah, Ohio, in Sandusky, Ohio. Sandusky, yeah, Dusky, Ohio. Ohio. That's right. That's late. Hey, let me ask you this. Um, I know you from being on stage. and But what is Detroit Red like when he is not on stage, when he is not performing, when he is just being just a regular guy? Exact same. Really? What I found in doing my comedy was it was not the material. Well, it helps. The material helps. It's a big part, but a lot of people find me kind of funny, and I'm just being me. So when I go on stage, you're pretty much getting the same guy. I'm laid back. I talk 
crap all day long <laughs> about any and everything. Um, Has it ever got got you in trouble? Oh yeah, I, <laughs> man. Look here, it's, it's been. I've had incidents where people don't wanted to fight me outside. I, I, you know, sometimes as a comic. Wait a second. Well, so is it? Is because I've heard this from many a comics, and I've seen it on TV. And is that really true that people get that upset? Uh, they yeah. they know that they pay for a show, knowing that it is entertainment, but they still get upset. See, the problem comes in <laughs> when they want to be a part of the show. Don't and, they, don't they call those hecklers? Yes. <laughs> And uh, what a heckler never realizes is, is that, one, I have the microphone. I'm going to win every time because I'm out, I'm out amplifying you. Two, the people are here to see me. They're not here to see you. And so what happens is a heckler generally thinks they're funnier than the comic or that they can get over on the comic. And the comic usually is very good. We're very observant people. Mm-hmm. Average good comic is a very good observer. Yeah. Of life, of of personality, characteristics, even the littlest thing you do, you might not think of. I'm sitting back watching and Amen. dying yeah. and laughing. Absolutely, yeah. So once a comic can key in on you enough, and then they already got the microphone, you got a room full of people laughing at this person. You've turned his heckling on him. Yeah, they can tend to, yeah. <laughs> I've had shows where I didn't even have a heckler where... The people complained about my material, like three or four of them, because it was a Christmas party, actually. Okay. So I talked about the gifts that the boss was giving away at the Christmas party. Like, I am so glad I do not work for y'all because these Christmas <laughs> gifts suck. Okay. <laughs> and and the, and the company is dying. Right, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the little owner and they little, I guess, right hand booty kisser or whatever. <laughs> They got all touchy and went told the club owner, well, we were really offended by some of the stuff he said. The whole time, all the company is, oh, great show. Yeah. Loved you. But, yeah, you know, if you if you strike a personal button, people tend to get, it, it stops being funny. Are there certain things that you stay away from when you are on stage? And what I mean by that is material? No. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. I feel everything on stage. Well, okay, I won't say that. I will say I don't talk about like retarded people or disabled. Not retarded. I'm sorry, disabled mm-hmm. or people that have actual things that they can't help. I'm never going to just like per se kick a person that's down already right, yeah. in a sense. But other than that, everything's why over weight. Color, I don't care if you do something and I see it's a factual, real life thing that's funny to me and a bunch of other people. I'm talking about it. So let's get back to the heckler because I know what I do when I get a heckler, and it, which doesn't come like comedy, but right. you always get a couple people, especially if I'm doing. I'm speaking in a prison or a correctional institute or something like that. You get hecklers in prison, no. Yeah, I know. Yeah, right. <laughs> but um, but I know how to handle them. Right. And, and, and I do it in a respectful way. How do you go as a comic? Because I know it's completely different than my stuff. Yeah. You, you're allowed to get up in them or her or, you know what I mean? And let me ask you this. Are women just as bad as guys when it when it comes to hecklers? Or is it always guys? Well, let, let's, let's first let this be known. A heckler... Gender has nothing to do with it. 
It's liquor <laughs> that has something to do with it. The so average heckler kind of like is created, right? Yeah, the, the average heckler is created by liquor, <laughs> and oversensing pride or something not enough attention or whatever. But most of them are drunk. And generally, how I try to handle a heckler is this: it's it's in stages. I'll light touch you. I won't just fire you up. I'll try to address you lightly. Yeah. If you persist, I'll get a little more aggressive. If you just insistent on showing me you're going to be the show, I'm going to make you a part of the show. <laughs> and this is the part where you might get up, gas for a refund that you're not about to get, or you're just about to really become a part of the show. Now, for those that take it, yeah. that, you know, start it, yeah. they stick it out, it's actually kind of fun though, isn't it? It's, I mean, oh, I yeah. know what, for 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 me, it's like they're giving me material. Oh, always, <laughs> always. When it's fun, but then it, it, there there's that fine line that they well, cross, and that's where your professionalism comes exactly. in. Exactly. And I tell you this, so I've seen a lot of comedians lose it. They go off rail. They don't know when. When it comes to a heckler, the main thing you want to do with a heckler is shut them down, keep them from interrupting the rest of the show. If you can do that respectfully, you're going to have a better fan at the end. So generally when I can handle a heckler and keep it on a cool basis, which 90% of the time I don't have any issues, I make sure that I go over at the end of the show. I thank them for being a good sport. Let them know, hey, these are all jokes. Yeah. I don't know you personally, right. and you don't know me personally. If somebody wanted to get into this business of comedy, what advice do you give somebody that wants to get into this business? Because some people will say, you know, go to a school, or not not even school, but you know what I mean, like a, a weekend school and learn how to tell jokes um, or get with another comedian and follow and shadow them. Right. Um, some people read books. Some people watch video. And and then there's people like me that I just did it, and I didn't want to see what everybody else did because right. I wanted to do it my way. Right. What advice can you give somebody that wants to get into this business of comedy? Um, well, there's several avenues you can take. Me myself, I was kind of like you, you know. Like I said, I I saw it live, and the next week I was ready to go try it. Yeah. Um, they do offer wherever you at. I guarantee you any mainstream comedy club or established comedy club more than likely has a comedy class, a comedian, a veteran comedian that's teaching how to do jokes, write jokes, get on stage. Um, there's always open mics. You can always write up your material or whatever you think is funny and go cut your chops on the open mic. Normally it's five to seven minutes. I always tell people when you get ready to start out, prepare you five to seven minutes worth of material. Now, depending on what market you in, like, you know, because it differs from like a L.A. to a New York compared to a Detroit. Right. Detroit may give me seven minutes to do open mic, where L.A. going to give me one or three. Right, I was going to say three minutes, yeah. yeah. So you want to make sure that you have that time, and it's, it's going to be about persistence. Once you get started writing the jokes and you overcome getting on stage and telling the jokes, you're not going to be Eddie Murphy every night. <laughs> right. 
you gonna have to go out. Some of these shows we've done, you've done them. I've done shows where I've drove through eight hours of corn stalks to get to a hall in the middle of nowhere and perform for twenty five people. I was just in Iowa last week. <laughs> so you 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 got to stay encouraged. You just got to hit every stage, like somebody told me. Every stage and every mic that you hit is like going to the gym and working out. And you never know when you're going to touch someone's life. That's the amazing thing to me because you could have one of those moments that you're like, man, that wasn't my best. And then six people are waiting for you, thanking you for what you did for them that night. Yeah. Yeah, you never know. You just never know. Do you have one of those moments that that stick out right now that somebody walked up to you and said, hey, listen, I needed this tonight. I had a death in the family or I'm going through something. And and you know what, Red? Thank you so much, man. Oh, yeah. I've had uh, moments like that over my career. I've even had moments where the couple have started arguing (laughs) at the club in the parking lot for whatever reason or they was arguing on the way to the show, but they refused to turn around because they weren't going to waste the ticket money. Yeah. And they'll tell me at the end of the show, like, man, you you know, you touched on some stuff that me and her was arguing. It's now we about to go out and do some more stuff. You right. know, you 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 kept a, you stopped our argument tonight. That's awesome. That's um, funny. <laughs> I've had people tell me that, you know, hey, they just had, like you said, a death in the family. And um, excuse me. What I've said has been encouraging. And it's a surprise because, like I say, you never think of none of this when you're going up here on the stage. Yeah. All you really be thinking is, hey, this is what I love to do, and and I want everybody to enjoy what I love to do. You know, I want to be able to make them happy. I want to be able to entertain them. So let me ask you this. Um, Being a motivational speaker for 20 years, I have had people ask me the Merriam. So I went and got ordained so I could. Okay. I have been asked to obviously do marriages. I've also been asked to be the speaker at funerals, which always sounded weird to me until I realized, man, how cool is this that this person was so positive that they wanted to leave with a positive message, not a negative message. You have done comedy, just like you said. You've done churches, you've done shows, you've done bars. You, you know, you, you've done it all. Where is, and what has been one of the most? I don't want to say memorable, but I don't know if weird comes to mind. I mean, like, have you ever been asked to do like a funeral or something like that? <laughs> I've never been asked, or to maybe do not a funeral, but maybe the you know, you know how they have dinners afterwards right. and stuff like that, because. I mean, not everybody celebrates things in the, you know what I mean, cookie-cutter type. I'm going to be honest. I don't think I've ever been asked to do a funeral. So now as soon as you leave here, you're, you're going to get on YouTube and do a video saying, hey, listen, guess what? I mean, I <laughs> would do a funeral. I mean, if you want me to roast your relative in a casket, I have no problem with that. I, I will roast the dead as well as I roast the living. It's not a problem. Um, but I don't think I've ever, I can say I've actually, the, the craziest show I've ever done probably has been in an after hour, you know, mm-hmm. a blind pig where they yep. selling partying after the club, club, after the bar hours or whatever. Um, memorable. 
is actually here in Michigan. Cageville, Michigan. Okay. Well, I never even heard of Cageville. Caseville. Caseville, okay. Yeah, they had a cheeseburger festival. It's up <laughs> like in the... And one of them, you drive through 20 <laughs> miles of, of corn stalk and wheat. <laughs> and they own all, they're off of Lake Erie. Okay. Was that Lake Erie? I think they off of, yeah, Lake Erie. And what made it so memorable wasn't the show. It wasn't even the crowd. It was afterwards. They It was a river. It's a beachfront type little tourist mm-hmm. summer place. And I went and sat on the beach. And one, I you know, I'm from the city, so to get crisp, clear skies with no lights is is hard, next never. <laughs> and I sat on the beach, and this particular night, I'll never forget it. It was clouded over, except for this like literally perfect square picture window in the clouds where I could see hundreds of stars over the river. Over Lake Erie. Mm-hmm. And I probably said I'd tear about two hours. And it was the most serene and peaceful. I can remember being one of the most peaceful times in my life, which made the show yeah. itself memorable because I was able to catch that and enjoy that afterwards. It was where I was, they had us put up at and yeah. what I was able to enjoy. So I want to I want to get back to something you just said a few minutes ago because and the reason why I asked the question is because somebody just reached out to me and you knew I I do a lot of mentoring for motivational speakers and this person is already speaking but they want some more advice and they want some more help and they want to get more gigs and they said I think I'm about ready to take a class for comedy not that I'm trying to be to be a comic but I want to get funnier during my presentations. I literally stopped my truck. I pulled over. I sent him back the email. I said, stop. Do not waste a dime letting somebody else tell you how to be funny. I'm like, you are you. Right. Nobody can teach you how to be you. Start having confidence in you. And that funniness will happen because your stories are good. Do you ever tell people to say, hey, listen, man, it's just... Race car drivers call it seat time. The more like you you can prepare mentally and physically and oh, everything yeah. else, but you got to sit in a car and, and and drive it. Oh yeah, it's just like us. It's like I I I will literally I will never turn down a gig because I I learn every time I take the stage and I've been doing right. it for twenty years. Right. I never turn down a gig because I know that that is another time that I'm learning. I'm affecting someone's life. Would you say the same thing? Like, hey, you know what? practice because i don't know about you as as a comic as a speaker i do a lot of work in the mirror i watch myself i tell stories i i videotape myself a lot even to this day if i'm working on new material because i want to see how i look and how i'm perceived if i was the person sitting in the audience do you do the same thing um or did you maybe, back in the day? Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe when I first started. I guess I've been doing this so long now. I don't really per se write material as much as I write premises. Okay. Things I'm going to talk about. So you have an outline, basically. Yeah, because okay. I've I've become so accustomed to what I do and how I do it on stage that I really don't take a lot of time and would I guess practice but I will continue to hit stages which is practice in itself open mics 
is always a good way of practice for us. So yep. you could catch me maybe three nights out the week trying to catch an open mic to develop some new material. Well, you're, I, I was just thinking about this, though. You just got done saying, like, just last week, you were at a church and you were at a bar doing yeah. a, a Thursday night comedy show. Yeah, my Thursday I, night, yeah. Mentally, mentally, I can't even think about the way that you would talk on a Thursday night and then the way you talk at church is different. Well, <laughs> it, it, it is. So mentally, how do you... Well, or it, is it just because we've been doing it for so long, you just know, hey, okay, I can't say that word when I'm on stage. Right. Is <laughs> that, is is that, and on top of that, it's knowing your what subjects are going to be taboo. Your Christians don't like to talk about sex and drugs. Right. Your bar goer will talk about it all. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when it comes to doing that clean comedy for the Christians or young folks, I really don't do young folks shows because they just do not get me. <laughs> right. <laughs> Any, anything under eighteen, I just don't do not. It's seem not your to thing anymore. I, I just they don't get me. But um, you you pretty much act, like you say doing it for so long, you learn the rules, the 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 yays and the nays of doing it. Who is acceptable to what? Let me ask you this: What do you do to prepare yourself for a show <laughs> when you are doing? A show. I know that some people have rituals that, that you know what I mean. They, they, I wear certain cowboy boots, or I, I, I have a pair of jeans that I wear, or I wear a certain watch, or there, there are just little things that I do to prepare myself for a gig. Um, and and and, and you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that hour before. You know, some people need their alone time which sometimes I do. Right. Sometimes we don't get that alone time. We don't get a green room. Our green room is being with everybody that wants to be a part of your right. presentation. What do you do to prepare yourself for a comedy night? Well, my process is a day-long <laughs> process. The day that I have a major show, I really don't do anything. I don't I don't go anywhere. I don't make no appointments. I pretty much sit at home and play my video games because that's one of my great pastimes. Um, and I chill out and talk to my little buddies all day to loosen my mind up, to loosen me up, to get me ready to be on my toes. Um, and then, of course, closer to showtime, I, I like to get to the show an hour early. Normally, normally, yeah, anywhere from an hour to a half hour because... I like to see the crowd coming in from an unseen vantage point. I do the exact same. I read the crowd before yeah, I even go out there. It's a must yeah. because you never know. Sometimes you have a variety of ages in the crowd, so you're going to have to be able to go from this genre to that genre. Sometimes they might be older than you expected or younger. I have always said you get there early to look at your audience yeah. because you could go there and, and and like for for me, I prepare different things and different stories because different clients want me to talk about certain things. Right. But I could go there with the greatest outline, and then guess what? At half an hour before the show, I'm rewriting my my whole script because I'm looking at the audience, going, "This isn't what I thought it was going to be, and you that's not what they told me it was going to be." You done wrote you a whole outline for a retirement party. <laughs> Here they graduating from the fifth grade. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, and we've all been there. Yeah. So yeah, that's what I like to do. I like to really. I'm a, it's more of a relaxed day for me the whole day. 
And then, you know, an hour before the show. And I pretty much can, you know, chit-chat, kick it, whatever. Because I pretty much already know what I'm going to talk about. And a yeah. lot of my stuff, I do a lot of improv, too. So I'm impromptu with a lot of my comedy. What do you do when you have a bad day? When you're having a crap day? Because I don't know about you. I get it all the time. They say, Johnny D, like, do you ever have bad days? You're a motivational speaker. I was like, absolutely. I said, I go, I love bad days. And people are like, oh, like, what the heck are what like what are you talking about, Johnny D? I said, I love bad days because it makes me one, appreciate the good ones. Right. And two, I got a handy pen or my recorder. And I'm writing about my crappy day so I can talk about it the next time I'm sta- I'm on stage. So I have now conviction to talk about my crappy day. Right. <laughs> for me, what do you do? For me, myself, a bad day, because I'm really a reset by day person. And what I mean by that is, is an issue can happen today. Once the sun goes down and comes back up, it's a new day to me. So I'm really not dragged down by the negativity of that issue from the day before. I'm going to deal with it. It's going to come and it's going to go. Stop and say that all over again because (laughs) I want people to hear what you just said, and that is so, so, so important in life to be the reset man or woman. Go ahead, Red. You you got to. You got to reset your day. Say that again. You reset your day by day. If something bad happened today, once that sun goes down and a new day comes, it's time for a new attitude. It's, uh, example, me and my wife, you know, no marriage is perfect. We have a disagreement or an argument. You know, they say you shouldn't go to bed angry. Well, that is bull. That's BS. <laughs> I do not agree with that because it's not physically possible all the it's time. It's one thing to say it, but it's but another thing, thing to, to live do it. it right? Yeah. I mean, we are human. That's just bottom line. And sometimes... <laughs> The worst situation just needs a night of rest. Yeah. Sometimes the worst situation just needs a new day's light. So if it happens today and I deal with it today, come tomorrow, it's a new day. It's a new attitude. I'm not, it's not going to follow me. Even if it's a a situation that could follow you. Yeah, it's there, but it's not going to dictate what every day is going to look like for me. So I reset by the days. If it happened today, I deal with it today. Tomorrow's a new day. Tomorrow's a new start to a new attitude. Let's go back at it, do it again. Oh, Red, we're running out of time. But before I go, um, I have two last things. One, what kind of events do you do? Um, I do it all from from Christian to clean. You know, when I started comedy, it was no such thing as clean. Uh, first of all, let me let me say this. When I started comedy. It was comedy. It was, hey, you're either in the club or you're in the church. <laughs> well, now there's some other comedy called clean comedy, but I do that too, where I, you know, I, I do clean Christian. I really don't do kid comedy because kids do not understand me. And I'm going to be honest, I'm old. Right. So when I see kids, I feel that I should be telling them to go do something, not telling them Red, jokes. 35 years old is not old. 45. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> really, if your kid is under eighteen, we don't have nothing to talk about. Wait, you um, ju- you just said you play video games all the time, so I mean, that, that no, that. no, no, because I don't even do that as a kid. I, I get angry, I get upset. It'd be man anger when I lose a game. But so clean, I do clean. Church. I do it all. Yeah, I do it from the. I do family reunions, backyard parties, whatever. One thing that I like about what you do, 
is you touched on it earlier, but it's something you actually do and you do very well. And I have watched video of you doing this. You will actually MC a wedding or what a party and roast whoever they want roasted. Oh, yeah. And you will learn about that individual and you will roast them in the nicest and coolest way that even they're laughing. I'm called the joke assassin. You got anybody out there you've been wanting to talk about for years, but you just don't have a heart to do it because you love them? Give me a call. Give me. A, I'm going to ask you a couple questions. Once we do that, hey, sit back and enjoy the show. <laughs> and how can people get a hold of you? Um, I can be reached. Uh, my, I'm going to put my phone number out here because if you prank call me, you're just going to fall in line with the bill collector, <laughs> so it ain't going to matter. 313-740-6533. I can also be reached on um, Facebook, James Harvey, with the parentheses, Detroit Red. Yeah. And I just learned that your real real name is James Harvey. Zuckerberg I, sucks. So I, <laughs> I for 18 years, only knew you from Detroit Red. I never even knew your real name. So, again, it's James Harvey. Yeah. And are you on Twitter and Instagram yeah, and everything on, else? Um, on Instagram is actually Comedian Detroit Red. Underscore between comedian and Detroit and Red as replacing the space, of course. And then on uh, Twitter is com Detroit Red, C O M Detroit Red, because they didn't give me enough letters to say comedian. <laughs> so I just went on with the com thing. And also on YouTube, I got plenty of material there. Uh, comedian Detroit Red. If you if you Google me, you'll find me. I'm, I'm out here. I can't commit any crime. <laughs> Between right. my voice and my look, it's like you either gonna identify me by voice or facial features. So, and that's the truth because I was just having a wine party with my daughter the other day that she hosted at my house. Isn't that funny? Now my daughter says, "Hey, Dad, you're invited to this wine party." I'm like, "Oh, cool!" Like she just bought her, you know, her her first house a year ago, and I said, "Cool, when is it?" And she said, "Sunday." I said, this Sunday? And she's like, yeah. She goes, I just want to invite you. I said, okay, well, where, where's it at? She goes, your house? <laughs> Gave you the invitation. You thought the address looked familiar. So I wait know. a second. I got one last thing before I wrap it up. And this is serious. And I don't even know if you can be serious for a second. But I want you to think about something for a second. If you could pick one thing, just one thing, that your comedy could do to change the world, what would that be? If you could pick one thing that your comedy could do to change the world, what would it be, Red? Kill off racism. Amen, brother. By having people really take a self-reflection. One of my sayings is, if you can't be real with yourself... How can you be real with me? Say that again. Hashtag truth. Say that again. If you can't be real with yourself, how can I trust you to be real with me? And what that means is hashtag truth. Hashtag truth. Because if we all take a minute to self-reflect, we all find that in the end, we ain't nothing but a bunch of clumsy misguided, trying to make it day-to-day, surviving creatures on this planet. It don't matter what skin tone we are. It don't matter what background we come from. In the end, we all human. 
And as the old saying goes, to err is human. To forgive is divine. Well, I'm going to add one more line. To laugh at self puts you on the next level every time. Because now you've become truthful with the person that it matters with the most, which is you first. If you can't be true with yourself, you can't be true with nobody else. Hashtag truth. Hashtag truth. Brett, it has been an absolute honor. Oh, and I appreciate you, you coming me. out here. Uh, welcome to my hood. And, uh, and, and, and They I, can't drive out here either. It's <laughs> <laughs> the first thing you said to me. And, 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 and no, and this is Johnny D, the Motivational Cowboy, telling all of you, be safe, have fun, and have yourselves an outstanding day. And, Red, I appreciate you so much. Thank you for having me, brother. Thank you. We'll see you next time on Outstanding Life Podcast. Outstanding Life is a Soul Bridge Studio production.